0: This is the City of Refuge, in Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Glad to see you here. You know, last week, I don't know if anybody wasn't here, but last week I expressed pretty strongly that I felt like the people who were here were people who were supposed to be here on that given day. And I still believe that, and and I see a lot of you showed back up, so hopefully you believed it too. Now, if you were not here last week um, and you're here today, I need you to just catch up. All right? It's going to be a day of you catching up and the rest of us plowing forward. But it's easy to catch up. All you have to do is just say, hey, I'm in, I'm listening, and I'm going to see if the Holy Spirit wants to deal with me in any kind of a way around what's going on here at City of Refuge South, because this is not typical church, okay? Um, this, This is, and by that I don't mean it's not typical in terms of being any better or whatever than what somebody else is doing. What I mean is it's not typical in a sense that right now, as a body, we're not coming together just to do a few songs and to hear a message, whatever I decided to put together for the day. No, we're in a different kind of a vein right now where... I have an anticipation that some different stuff is headed our way, and we better be ready for it. So what we're doing in here on Sundays is we're preparing ourselves for whatever it is that the Father's going to send our way, or that comes our way. So it's really important. And, and you, you get on board, if you haven't ever been here at all before, you get on board with it by simply... Being here and absorbing and picking up where we are, and then you, of course, will begin to um, hear reminders of things we've already talked about, and to be able to get the full scope of what's happening. I spent a little bit of time this last week uh, reading some and and watching one uh, video that uh, Miss Fay actually sent to me of a guy, a pastor talking about the situation in Israel. And and it really started to line up with what I'm thinking about us here, that big picture and our kind of smaller picture here. And there there was a lot of information that came out of it and some of it I already knew but I did learn some things that were beneficial to me and and one or two of them I want to pass on to you. Okay, so I think most of us are aware that the conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians has been going on for a very long time, and that there is a historical element to it, there's a religious element to it, there's a political element to it, and now there's a military element to it, which has been going on for a little while too. And it goes back to two young men, one named Ishmael and one named Isaac. So the Palestinians are descendants of Ishmael and Isaac is a descendant, or the Israelis are descendants of Isaac. Isaac was the promised son to Abraham. You're familiar with that story, right? Where God comes to Abraham, and Abraham's already an old man, and He says, I'm going to give you and your wife Sarah a son. Isaac was that promised son, and Isaac eventually showed up, but not before Abraham and Sarah Uh, demonstrated their doubt in God's ability to perfect and complete his plan by adding some ingredients to God's plan and trying to do it their own way. And what that looked like was Abraham getting together with one of their young maidservants, a young lady named Hagar, and them producing a child together. This was their attempt to help God do His job, to help God uh, fulfill the promise of God. Listen, if it's the promise of God, just say yes to it and get out of the way. Just say yes to it and watch. Say yes to it and listen say yes to it, and have a great deal of anticipation, expectation about what he's going to do. He does not need your help. If he sets something in front of you to do, that's his idea. Then do it. But don't come up with your own ideas. I I, I coined this... 15 years ago wrote it in my first book your best idea is only good enough to kill you that's as good the best idea you can ever come up with is only good enough to kill you god has an idea for you He wants to show you what that idea is. He wants to tell you about it. He wants to place the keys that we talked about last week in your hand so that you can unlock that door and fully understand what that idea is so that you can move into it and live inside God's idea. He doesn't need our help with His ideas. He doesn't need our help with implementation unless He gives us a specific assignment. His assignment to Abraham and Sarah was... Watch what I do. Just wait and you'll see what I'm going to do. But they started to do what we all do sometimes. And that is to allow circumstances to start to put layers over top of what God wanted to do. And anytime you start adding layers, then at some point, if you want to get there, you've got to start peeling off the layers. And peeling off the layers can be very messy, very painful, and they're absolutely unnecessary. Peeling off the layers can look like bloodshed, can look like war, conflict, can look like hatred, can look like pain and grief. It's just like Eve and Adam in the garden when they decided to add ingredients to God's recipe, they were expelled from the garden. They fractured the three-part harmony between themselves and God and the rest of natural creation. And they started to add on layers. And now everybody on the planet is striving to get to a spot of victory, of peace, of tranquility. But everybody's going about it their own way and it never works. We're America. We're great. I still believe we're the best nation on the planet. All right? But are we without blemish? No. No. 400 years of slavery would tell you that we're not beyond blemish. Right? There hasn't been a 50-year span in the history of this nation that we have not been at war with somebody. We are not without blemish. And the reason we never get to where we want to be is because we're always trying to do it our way instead of surrendering to God's way. So this conflict is going on. And I'm not going to dive any deeper into the, the conflict between Hamas and Israel. Let me tell you the next thing I learned out of the talk that I listened to. He, asked, he, he answered five questions in the talk. And one of the questions was, why are so many young people in America protesting against Israel in this conflict? Why are college and university campuses in an uproar right now? Because so many students are blaming Israel for what's happening. So many students are defending the actions of the terrorist group Hamas. Why? And the teacher presented this term that I'd never heard before. He said it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And here's what that means. It means that when you have People, and this is especially relevant to young people, who do not have the foundation of their life tied up in the person of God and the Word of God. In other words, they are void of the presence and the activity of God in their lives. So they have this God-shaped space in them. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to fill it up with something. Because all of us, every one of you, every human being, is born with a God shaped hole in your spirit. And the only thing that will adequately fill that space is what? God. Because it's shaped like Him, it's like you're doing a, a puzzle. And you pick up a piece and it looks like it probably is right. It's close to being right. You try to put it in, but it doesn't fit exactly right. But you keep cramming and trying. And at some point, you're going to come to the realization that that piece doesn't fit there. But this is what young people in America are doing. And it's not just about the war. It's about a lot of things. It's about sexuality. It's about abortion. It's about family. And they are taking these social causes. Now listen. These, young, these, these kids are filled with compassion. They love people. They defend the poor. They have benevolent hearts. They're not bad at their core. They're just confused. And they're young, so they do not have the life experience because life experience produces wisdom. Diane, do you know any more now than you knew when you were 16? (laughs) Do you know more now than you knew when you were 16? Yes, because your life experience has taught you. The oldest people in this room know more than anybody else in the room doesn't mean that the oldest person in the room does everything right or behaves properly off of what they know, but they know more because they've learned more because they've had more life experience than anybody else. And you got a 20-year-old kid in the streets with a banner, you know, acting crazy and dancing around and screaming and hollering, and they don't have a solitary clue in this world because they don't have any life experience. So what do we do? We take other causes, and we attempt to fill up the God-shaped space with stuff that's not shaped like God. Because if you know the history, if you know how things ended up the way they are, in Palestine, in the nation of Israel, in the entire Middle East. If you have an understanding of that, there's no way you're going to go out in public and demonstrate pro-terrorist and anti-Israel. It's just not going to happen. So confusion causes us to make the wrong decisions. Called moralistic therapeutic deism. What else do we use sometimes to fill, a, fill up the God-shaped hole or to attempt to? Maybe we use animal rights. I'm all about animal rights, but I know people who treat animal rights like a god. That they view animal lives as important as human lives, as, a, as valuable as human lives. That's moralistic, therapeutic deism. It starts with moralism, which says, yes, morally that is right. It's right to protect the, the rights of animals. It's a good thing. It's a moral thing. And then it becomes therapeutic because it actually is giving them a false sense of satisfaction through the therapy that comes in their involvement in that cause It becomes therapeutic to them, but the therapy is always going to be temporary, and the therapy is never going to be complete and full because it is not shaped like God. And then it's deism because it is replacing God with other gods. And what was the first commandment in the list of ten? You shall have no other gods before me. So if you start with a problem and you continue to build on that, you're always going to have a problem. So let's get to some information in the scripture, a couple quick examples, and we'll finish it up. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know the story, the Israelites are in a valley, they're in conflict with the Philistines, and they're scared. Why are they scared? They're scared because of circumstances. Have the Israelites been given a promise by God Himself who has chosen them to be His people that they will overcome their enemies? Yes, they have. They have the promise of God. They have the blessing of God in front of them. It's right there for them to just go take it. But now they see that the Philistine army is not only scary, but the Philistines have now identified a giant to come out on their behalf and to stand in the valley and to rant and rave and curse and threaten. And so they now have backed away from their faith in the promise of God. Remember last week, the word for the week was the word believe. And belief has nothing to do with circumstances. If we're only going to believe when the circumstances are good, then our belief is worthless. It is is when we believe regardless of circumstances, we believe simply because God said this is the way it is. That our belief becomes a powerful force that results in the realization of the blessing. And so the entire Israeli army is camped over here, but nobody will go out into the valley and confront the giant except a young boy by the name of David. And David arrives, and his brothers are in the army, and they're among the cowards. They're among those, those who are allowing circumstances to dictate how they feel and what they're going to do. But David said, you know, and, and we won't go back and run through the whole story. We come to the point in the story where David walks into the valley and addresses the giants and all of the Philistines at the same time with these words. It says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear. What does that mean? It means throw the circumstances out the window. Throw them out the window. You're bigger than me. You're stronger than me. You got more weapons than me. You've got a sword, you've got a spear, you've got a shield, you've got armor. I got nothing but a leather strap and a few rocks. And it really just doesn't matter. It don't matter. So, what about you? What do you got? Some of us in the room don't don't have as much as David had, right? We feel weak. We feel incapable. We feel pitiful. We're confused. We don't know what God's purpose is for us. We don't think we have any tools. We don't have any money. We're broke. We were born without talent, without skill. We're semi-unintelligent, (laughs) right? Right? What am I going to do? I got nothing. The world's out here with spears and swords and they're after me, right? There's no way, no way I can win. I can't even survive, much less win. David said, no, forget about all that. Why do we have the benefit of just forgetting all about that? Because the promise of God is real and the blessing of God is right there and it has nothing to do with what we have or how we feel. It has everything to do with what He has said. David said it's not by sword. Why am I going to worry about that big old sword you got hanging off your side there when it's not even about that? It's not by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is not really even mine. Letting go of that. Anybody just ever gotten tired of just the uphill battle to try to get where you want to be spiritually? And every time you think you're about to arrive somewhere, you just collapse. And all of a sudden, you're a failure again. Right? He says, it's not even your battle. It's the Lord's. And He said, He will give all of you, not just you, big boy all of you into our hands and you know the end of the story the giant laughs because that's what the enemy does to us that's what our adversary does he mocks us he laughs at us he points out our weaknesses he loves he loves to get our attention and and to discourage by pointing out what we can't do. And he loves to point out how we failed before. He loves to point out the brokenness and the uh, the destruction that still exists because of those bad decisions that we made. You know what else he loves to do? He loves to pile on the guilt about what we did that we shouldn't have done or about what we didn't do that we now realize we should have done and we see the damage. No ignoring the damage. The collateral damage is there. I did something dumb, and God might be able to do something in me, but what's He going to do about the damage? Well, we just leave the damage up to Him. we got examples in this room right now that when they finally decided that they knew that the battle was not theirs but his. And so what they did was just got, started getting up every morning and saying yes to what he was doing. Just say yes. Leave that up to him. I, I'm not getting into that anymore. That is what it is. I know I would love to see something good happen there, but I'm moving forward. I'm moving up. He's got something better from here on. It's not going to do me one lick of good to turn around and go back here. How's that going to help? Even to hang around there in my mind, it's not going to help. In the book of 1 Kings, there's a story about four leopards. They're dying with leprosy. They're sitting outside the city wall because they're not allowed to come in the city because of their disease. Right? And so they got decisions to make. And one day one of them looks at the other one and says, hey, why don't we get them and go down the road? Nah. You know, we need to figure out a way to get back in the city. He says, no, if we go back, we die. Listen, you know what's in your past? Death. You go back to that destruction. You go back to those bad decisions. You go back to those busted relationships. You go back and start having pity parties about what you didn't do or did do. And all that is going to do is to hasten your spiritual death. Nothing productive in it. And he says, no, if we, go, if we go back in there, we die, they're going to kill us. Well, let's just sit here then. I'm afraid to go down the road. There's an enemy down the road. Let's just sit here. And he says, no, if we sit right here, what? We die. So you got two uh, two plans there that both end up with the same result. We go back, we die. We sit right here, we die. Listen, wherever you are right now, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're not back there. But don't sit right here. Don't wallow in this the rest of your life. Don't wallow in this five more minutes. Move. Get up. Go forward. There's something better out there. There's another key that the Father wants to place in your hand, so you can unlock the next door, so you can realize the next bit of revelation, so He can take you to the next place in His plan for you. And He says, no, we go back, we die, we sit here, we die. And here's the reality, y'all. The third thing He says is, if we go down the road, if we go forward... Perhaps we die, but at least we die knowing that we were going after the prize. And you know what? If you die going forward, it's going to be worth it. That's a glorious death. If you die going forward, it's worth it. In Numbers chapter 13, we're back to the story we've been dealing with for a few weeks of the children of Israel being delivered from slavery in Egypt, spending a bunch of years in the wilderness wandering around because they kept living in patterns of disobedience. And then they get to the precipice of the promise. They can see it over there. This is God's blessing. This is what God said is ours. And they decide to send, and the Lord tells them, says, well, send some guys over there to check it out so you'll know that my promise is true. You know, God's not telling them to go over there so that they can speck out the enemy. That ends up being their plan. He says, go over there so that you can see the fruit that's growing. Go over there so that you can see that it is a land of milk and honey. Go over there so that you can see, you can get that sense, you can get that feeling. Send a group of leaders over there so that they can validate the promise and the blessing. And they go over there and they come back. And there was 12 of them. And it says, "...they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored." They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. What are we talking about? We're talking about circumstances. We're talking about Goliath. We're talking about the Philistine army. We're talking about the army that might be down the road if we go forward. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. Oh my gosh, not the Nephilim. Well, we can't do anything if the Nephilim are out there. They're the descendants of Anak, and you know what that means. Circumstances. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Listen. Here's the issue. This is what you've got to leave here with, and you've got to contemplate it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to decide what you're going to do with it individually. Okay? I can't fix you. All I can do is tell you the truth. You take the truth out of here, and you deal with it, and see where you want to go with it. You want to go back, you want to sit here, or you want to plow ahead. The issue for some of us is this. We have a terrible opinion of ourselves. But that's not the start of it. That's the result of something else. If you have a terrible opinion of yourself, there's a 100% guarantee that that's because you have a bad opinion or a wrong opinion of God. Because you cannot have the right opinion and perspective on God and end up thinking poorly of yourself. It's not possible. So if you think poorly, and I'm not judging your salvation, but I'm telling you the absolute truth. If you think poorly of yourself, there's something askew in your perspective of God Almighty. So we've got to start at the starting line, which is to make sure that our perspective, our view, and our opinion of God is right. And that's going to fix our opinion of ourselves. Who is God? Who is this God that's telling them, you are my people, you are my son, you are my daughter. I want to bless you. I'm giving you this promise. I want to restore you. I want to give you freedom. I want to fill up your lives with peace. I want to prosper you in so many ways. I want to make your life like a big beautiful tree producing the right fruit in season. Who is this God? What is He about? Let me tell you that He is a holy God. He is a holy God, and we very often don't think of Him that way and we don't treat Him that way. We throw His name around casually without considering His holiness. We take His words too flippantly too unseriously because we don't consider His holiness. We have a problem believing because we don't believe that He's as holy as He is. And what I mean by that is, if God is holy without flaw, without the tiniest shred a pollution in that holiness, then what He's saying to us has to be the absolute truth. Because giving to us anything other than the absolute, unmitigated, unpolluted truth would be a violation of His holiness. It would be be an indication that there's a problem somewhere in His holiness, and there's not. We have to see him as holy. He is majestic above anything you can imagine. Whatever you have seen, witnessed, whether it's in person, on television, in movies, anywhere that you would consider to be majestic. I looked up at the night sky a couple nights ago, and it was just absolutely brilliant. You know, we live in a country where there's no there's no lights, so when the sky is is bright, it's it's really, really impressive. And I would describe it as majestic, full moon, stars everywhere. On your way to Noonan on Highway 16, there is this ridiculous-looking Barbie set up. You ever seen that? Old dirty Barbies out there in some sand. And Kins and all the Barbie stuff, little Barbie cars. And it's set up like it's an attraction. It's about half the size of this section of chairs. And then they've got a parking lot the size of ours with a sign that points parking. And I've never, ever once even seen one car in that parking lot. It's so unimpressive. That Barbie display is the equivalent of that night sky in comparison to the God who created that night sky. Totally unimpressive in comparison. He's a creator, and we're getting to where we want to be right here. He's a creator, and guess what he did? This is the truth. It's in his word. He created you and me In his image. In his likeness. I know. Y'all looking at me and thinking, no way. I'm looking at you thinking the same thing, some of you. But it's true because it's not about physical appearance. What do you think about when you think about yourself? Dumb slow, unathletic, non-social, don't have many friends, don't have hardly any talents, abilities, got nothing to offer, got no money. Listen, circumstances, all out the window. You are created in the image of God, and if you can ever start to see yourself that way, it's going to change everything in your life. It will change everything. Because then you're starting to see yourself the way you see Him, and vice versa. You're valuable. You're important. He's a Savior. He's truth. He's provider. He's healer. If we can just start to see God that way, the way He really is, then it changes our perspective on ourselves. And you know what? God is royalty. There's coming a time when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus Christ is royalty. But we have an opportunity to do that right now until waiting until that time when we're forced to do it. We recognize his royalty, and his royalty is far above. You know, you, you talk about the British royal family. One of the great mysteries in my life is why so many Americans are so f- infatuated with the British royal family. I could care less, and I don't know why anybody cares. But that's if that's you, that's fine, whatever. But you take any royalty on the planet—the British royal family, the the um, Indian uh, from the people from India, the. The Saudis, you know, that have the royal family and all that. No, it's like ants crawling up a wall in, in comparison to the royalty of God Almighty. He is royalty, and listen, if He's royalty and He created you in His image, guess what you are? That's it. You're royalty. We we are sons and daughters of a king. We are princes and princesses. Youngest to oldest, every race, every creed, every heritage, every academic level, every economic level. Those who say yes to the words and the will and the heart of God are the royal sons and daughters of God. Period. Size of your bank account, number of degrees you have on your wall, what size house you live in, how many friends you got on social media, means nothing. You are a prince. You are a princess. And my gosh, isn't it just about time we started living like that? started embracing that truth, started plowing forward instead of hanging around where we are, always hanging around back there somewhere where all the destruction is. We're royalty. And we've got a purpose ahead of us. And we need to believe that that's the case. And we need to not just say we believe, we need to behave like we believe. And He's going to place keys to the kingdom in our hands. It's a promise, and the blessing is there. When the time is fulfilled, everything that was promised to Abraham will belong to the nation of Israel. Why? Because what was God's promise is still God's promise. Every blessing He intended for them in the book of Genesis is going to be theirs. Why? Because the promise of God then is still the promise of God now. If you look at a map of Israel now, it's this little tiny stretch, about 125, 150 miles long. I forget how wide. But what was promised, if you read the description in the book of Genesis of what was promised, this whole swath of land the whole nation of Jordan is not even supposed to be there, belongs to Israel, and it will be theirs. And Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Because the promise that was is the promise that is. And in your own individual life, He has promises over you. And He has blessings ahead for you. But you must believe, and you must move forward, and you have to accept your identity. That you are created in His image and that you are a royal son or daughter. If we go there individually, we'll all end up there together, right? It's up to you. Father, thank you for this time. For every person in this room, I believe that you have spoken to some hearts. I believe you've cleared up some fog for some of us. I believe you continue to answer questions that are in our minds and hearts. You continue to encourage us by Your Spirit to accept who we are in You and to know without any doubt, to believe with everything that's in us, that You are God, the one true God, the awesome and powerful God, the Creator, far above anything and anybody that exists in this world or ever has or ever will. You're taking us somewhere individually, and so we're all going to go together because of that. And we thank you for what's ahead, and we commit ourselves to continuing to move down the road so that we can see what the potential is there, what the blessing is there, and the fulfillment of your promises. Thank you for your word. It's quick, it's powerful, it cuts us up, but it also puts us back together. (laughs) And I pray you would take us in your blessings of peace and power and provision and protection. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.